podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Stratocast. I'm your host, Dale O'Donnell, and in episode 177, we're going to reflect on two humiliating defeats as the pressure mounts on Eric Ten Hag. At the beginning of the podcast, you will hear some bonus pre-match chat before the Manchester Derby, but then I'll be joined by Brian Murphy to reflect on another horrific performance. Oh, and you're getting knocked out of the Carabao Cup. Hello and welcome to Stratocast, episode 177, match day special for the Manchester Derby. Not joined by Brian yet, he will be arriving in the morning and we're doing a match day podcast, so you'll hear plenty of voices throughout. Currently joined by my compadre, Jason Toomey. Jason, how are you? How you doing? Not too bad. So look, before we get into a few questions about the Manchester Derby, some of my thoughts on it. Earlier on the week, if you asked me a prediction, I couldn't see you getting any kind of result, a draw, win, not a chance, but... As you get closer to match day, and especially when you arrive in Manchester, there's a different feeling ahead of the game. Would you agree with that, Jay? Yeah, definitely. Look, it's a derby. Anything can happen on derby day. Well, they're champions. They're champions. Yeah. Or, or they're also treble winners. We don't like to- saying that. They're European champions. And on their day, they can beat any team. But I think this season, like us, they've no been, been nowhere near as good as they could be. Can we get a result? Realistically? Yeah. Realistically, of course we can. Like We have the players... You know what I mean? We have match winners. We've Marcus Rashford, Bruno. You know these guys. Moment of magic can win a game. You know could be could be nil all, could be one all. Five minutes to go. Look what happened against Brentford a couple of weeks ago. Scott McTominay comes off the bench, scores two goals. You know we have match winners. That may be kind of the way we seem to be playing this season. You know we're relying on a moment of magic to kind of win a game. Like we're definitely not dominating games the way we should be. But yeah, look, we have match winners, so of course we can beat them. Are we a cup team? Yeah, I think we are. Like, look, obviously we're not going to be challenging for the title this season. I know we all hoped and thought we might be. Already it looks like we're not. So yeah, we are. We're kind of one-off matches. So yeah, if that's a cup team, that's kind of what we are at the moment, I think. Goes back to even last season against Barcelona in Europe. Before that, no one would have given us a chance. And it goes back even further to PSG under Ali. Still similar enough team, we're talking about similar players, Marcus Rashford and Co. They are the players we rely on. And of course, too, we would have all hoped that this season in Eric's second term as manager, second, sorry, not second term, but second season as manager, that we'd see more of the kind of football that he wants. Obviously, it's been a big topic of conversation on this podcast all season that we're not seeing the football that we want. The football has been dire. Do you put that solely down to injuries or do you think there's something else playing a factor? No, I think a lot of it is the injuries, definitely. Look, we haven't had we haven't had a left back for the majority of the season. Luke Shaw is obviously our first choice. We haven't had him. Um Onana hasn't had a great start, but then again, he hasn't had a solid back four in front of him. You know, he's playing out from the back. He doesn't know who he's playing with most weeks. That's definitely a factor. Um, without a doubt, I think the injuries have played their part, yeah. Brilliant. So just a quick one too. Tell us a bit about 
I suppose we're, we're here for the Manchester Derby and both of us being Irish and we would have grown up with United and Liverpool being the biggest teams in Ireland. City aren't, we're never, never near that level. And still to this day, are not near that level. We might see a few jerseys pop up. Um, what does the Manchester Derby mean to you as an Irish Red? It definitely means, look, it means a lot more now, obviously, than it did when I was kind of growing up. Yeah. Because, again, City weren't, they, they weren't a rival of ours, you know what I mean? It was probably different for people living in Manchester, you know what I mean? You have the rivalry, you have friends that are City fans. Obviously, for us, being Irish, you know, all of our kind of our friends and, and workmates were Liverpool fans, few Spurs fans, few Arsenal fans thrown in. But it was kind of all United Liverpool, and it kind of still is in Ireland. Um, but look, obviously, because City are who they are now... It's probably, I would say, probably the second biggest game of the season. Look, Liverpool, I would think, for us, yeah, is still the yeah, biggest. Yeah. But City is definitely now the second. It is. Look, they're there. They're the champions. They're the, the European Cup holders. They're, what we, they're where we want to be. So, yeah, it, it's way more significant to us now than it ever has been. This game, of course, against City, we're playing a team that they've cheated their way to lots of success with a number of charges hanging over their head. But also, they're a team that is or a club that had fell victim to sports washing in 2012. Manchester United, as it looks like, we're not going down that route. Qatar not coming in. Is there a sense of pride about that? Because I look at this derby tomorrow, and it's called the Manchester derby. Manchester United versus Abu Dhabi, or Manchester United versus Man City. And what I'm saying is, with, with the potential, or with what could have been a Qatar takeover, were you worried about that our club would have potentially lost a sense of its identity, or... Were you one of the fans, and there was some, that thought that we, we just need the money, we want to see investment into the team, Qatar will bring that, or were you kind of slightly worried about the traditions of the club? Yeah, I would have been worried about the traditions of the club, obviously, you know what I mean, we have a U team player in, in our match day squad for the last, you know, since the 50s, obviously that's the tradition we want to keep going, you know, mm. we have Garaccio coming through, Rashford came through there, you know, you have the class of 92, of course that's something to be proud of. Look, it's, it's a tough one, because... It's like, you know, City have all this money. Do you kind of, do you have to jump into bed with them yeah. to, to, to match them and try and compete with them? Or now, obviously, now it looks like we're going down the Ratcliffe route. Um, so I suppose now, obviously, we could say, well, that's the way we wanted to go anyway. Mm. Is that true? I don't know. Look, I'll be honest with you, it was a tough one either way. Because you, you really don't know which either of them were offering, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, it's it looks like it's down the right level. Look, he says he's a United fan. Hopefully he'll kind of keep the traditions going. And that can only be good for the club and, and us supporters. And as long as he gets the Glazers out eventually. And once he gets the Glazers out, of course. And look, by getting the 25%, if that's what it's going to be, it's the stepping stone. You know what I mean? It's... It's the steps that hopefully they're gone maybe in, in two or three years' time. Um, you would hope that's what he's putting into the deal, that it will be a full buyer eventually. Um, and look, that's all we can hope for, that they just go. Um, yeah, a, a foot in the door. Foot in the door, exactly. Before, quickly, before we wrap up this section, because we'll be recording again tomorrow, match day, with Brian and Co. Your match prediction. Oh, right. Um, do you know what? I'm going to be optimistic about it. I think we're going to beat them 2-1. 2-1, But that's yeah. probably my heart ruling over my head, but yeah, 2-1. Would you take a draw? Oh, i take a draw right now. 100% <laughs> I'd take a draw. Definitely. Right. Um, I'm not sure about my... I'm not going to give my prediction yet. I'll give it tomorrow because I feel I'd be more optimistic then. I'm still thinking we're going to get a draw, but hopefully not a defeat. Until the next segment, we'll speak to you soon. I'm here in Yates, Manchester City Centre. 
with Matt, one of our writers of Australian News. Head of the Derby, Matt, how are you feeling? I'm feeling quite confident, you know. You are? Yeah, I've had a couple of dreams, mate. I told you before, we've won in both my dreams. I just, I've got a sneaking feeling. Because a lot of people I've spoken to this morning aren't confident. I no, think we're shit. We are shit, but... We are basing it on dreams. Pretty much, and the fact it's a derby, mate. I don't know what's going to happen in a derby. Football's about dreams, though, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Not necessarily physical ones, but this time we've got physical ones. Yeah, mate, I just... It's a derby game. We beat them last season at home. I just... We've got to click in at some point. There is no better time to click in together than today. City haven't been at their best this season. Exactly, mate. But they are... As City. I mentioned, yeah, and at the moment, Champions of Europe, albeit through cheating, um, but they are a serious side. They haven't quite clicked this season. Do you think that might go our way today, or do you reckon because it's us that they'll be up for it more than usual? Shit, our answer, but it can literally go one of two ways. But I, I, they are not infallible. Wolves showed they're not infallible. Do you know what I mean? Arsenal showed they weren't infallible. Arsenal were lucky to beat them, really, but. There is no saying that we can't get that look. And both defeats were away from home. Just on our form, because we went to the game, first game of the season together against Wolves, and we both came away from that game quite unimpressed, happy with the result. But the performance was reminiscent to what we had seen in pre-season. It was a slugfest. And I probably would have said to you at that night that, you know, start of the season, give it a few weeks course they've had injuries since then but those types of performances have carried on up until now and I know we go into this game with three wins on the trot but if you look back they've all been slugfests again is that going to be different today because not just because City are playing us but because we're playing City no it'll be a slugfest but at the minute because we're three wins in a row winning the games now is more important than the performances yeah. Three wins into four wins, and suddenly the confidence grows. So the fifth win might be a better performance. The sixth win will then be a better performance. Well, it's stringing, it's getting the stringing together and bringing it all into one, and, and getting a run going. But I actually believe that was Ten Hag's philosophy last season, in yeah. the sense that people were questioning why he didn't make changes a lot of time. But it was because he wanted to build a win- winning mentality. Yeah, but and he said about Rashford, hasn't he? That he will find form again, and he's been shy, and he really should be dropped by right. But he's trying to play him into form and like you say this could well be what he does the form is going to come at some point Casemiro still hasn't been great but has looked a lot better recently than he did at the start of the season Maguire has, has played really well the last two or three games credit where it's due I still will sell him tomorrow but Onana made that penalty save could well be the springboard playing his way into form if you suddenly got three or four players playing their way into form You've got three or four players trying to get there. I felt quite uncomfortable reading some of the pre-match quotes from Pep Guardiola when he, he kind of focused. When he was asked about Andre Onana, because he's a goalkeeper, he spoke about for the Champions League final. And he said that the penalty save should do him the world of good and that he reckons he's going to kick on now. It kind of felt uncomfortable reading that. I get what you mean, but also at the same time, as much as I hate the ball, my bad. He knows football, doesn't he? And, and he knows moments in the game. And he's Jack Grealish is his prime example. He's had one moment somewhere that has then just kicked him on to the next level to the point where now he looks a £100 million player. So he, he's there now. Mm. So he knows that moments in time can do it. He said at the Wolves game David De, or the other week, David De Gea made that save against Chelsea and became arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. Mm. Mm. Well, he, he went just, on to. He did, yeah, he did, yeah. It just takes that one save. 
and all right, he's made some good saves in games. And kept, but a penalty save, the odds are stacked so heavily against him for a penalty save. And he didn't guess, he went the right way. And it's not something to hear was, was strong at penalties. But, but I will say, Onana, he looks more imposing. Yeah, and it, he's not say you see it all the time, I said on Twitter, you see it when he fucks one up. Oh, the guy wouldn't have saved that. But no one said that the guy wouldn't have saved that penalty. Because you know for a fact, the guy is not saving that penalty. He's going the other way because he guessed. Good point, sir. Onana had the confidence in himself to go the right way. And he knew that's where he was going. And then save it. So, Matt, give me your pre-match prediction. Ah, see, this is where you've got to do it. No, you have to say we're going to win because you dreamed about it twice. Well, I so. did that, that, that's, <laughs> that's my prediction is I've had two great dreams. So, scoreline <laughs> prediction. I don't do scoreline You're going to have to. Well, we're going to lose if I do. I'm going to say, this is 2-1, one way or the other. Shit out of it there, you see. That way it might come true. <laughs> Thanks, Matt, hopefully. Love you, babe. Brian, how are you doing? Because I met you after the game and we sat for about two or three hours and hardly mumbled five words. We weren't in the mood to record any sort of podcast. It's been a few days now. Where do you want to get started? Jesus Christ, Dale. I don't know. I just don't know. Take us back to the lobby of the Ibis, this was. Start from scratch. Well, we're lucky we were probably kicked out. <laughs> Some of the shenanigans happen later on, but no, the, the the mood is, I suppose, look, people have listened now to the, the pre-match chat where I spoke to Jay and Matt before the game and suppose we were all kind of fearing the worst, but there was a little bit of optimism as people were arriving to Manchester and hoping that on Derby Day we'd be able to swing it and maybe get our season back on track. That wasn't the case. The performances this season, though, I know people kind of leaving the ground were talking about, oh, this is City. This is a very, very good City side. But how I felt coming out was, no, this is just more of what I've seen all season. And it wasn't just that we're playing against a good team because we make very ordinary teams look very, very good. Do you know, leaving the ground, I think the biggest the biggest anger I had was we didn't lay a glove on him until Anthony came off the bench. And in, the, in injury time, threw a fucking boot across your man. It was the first time someone put a tackle in an anger. Like, I don't mind... It's going to sound funny. I don't mind losing football games. Of course I do. But like football is football. You're going to win and lose. I don't mind losing a game if the boys come off the pitch and you know they've broke their bollocks and they've given absolutely everything they possibly can for 90 minutes and they just weren't good enough on the day or they were tactically outclassed or something went wrong or whatever. But to come off the pitch in a Manchester derby against one of your fiercest rivals, knowing that they haven't did my fucking head in. It really, really got to me. Knowing that we, we could have done more we should have done more. But I think I think it all started, Dale, when we saw the starting lineup. And that's just being honest about it. I mean, up to before the starting lineup came out, we were inside in town having points and having the crack. And you know, even though it was kind of a nervous excitement, knowing well that we could get throttled, we were still kind of buoyant enough thinking, you know, this you can get at this side, City aren't haven't been great, and I know we're not playing well, but we always lifted for the big games. And you're still kind of thinking maybe just maybe today is the day now we put a, a statement win on the, on, the, on the table and turn things around and this starts off the season again then in the taxi on the way to the ground the lineup was announced and it was like someone announcing someone's death 
everybody that was in that taxi just looked at each other and went, what the fuck is Johnny Evans doing at centre half? And more inexplicable, what the fuck is Victor Lindelof doing at left back? I'd, I'd even accept Lindelof at right back and Dallow at left back. But what was going on in that back four? I have no idea. Midfield wasn't inspiring and it just, I think everyone knew, you knew walking down to the ground. By that stage, everyone had seen the team and it was just like, oh, bollocks, this isn't going to go well. So I'm, I'm, I'm laying, if we're going to talk about blame, I lay the blame at Tin Hag for that one. I don't think he got it right. I really don't, especially afterwards when he inexplicably just explained that Johnny Evans was chosen over multiple Champions League winning Raphael Varane for tactical reasons. I'm not sure what the tactical idea was there, but it didn't work. Um, the, the fact that Varane didn't come off the bench made me think that maybe it was a matter he just wasn't fit. If he's not fit, say that. That's fine. But if he's on the bench, play him. If he's good enough to be on the bench, he's good enough to start. And if you only get mm. 45 minutes out of him, get 45 minutes out of him. Now, there's a flip side to the day. And the flip side to it, and it might be my complete and utter roast into glasses, I don't think we deserve to go in one and down at halftime. I really don't. I thought we got sucker punched by a bullshit penalty, another VAR call that's gone against us. And we had our chances. I don't think we were terribly bad. We weren't we weren't brilliant by any means. I don't think we were we terribly bad. Well. We started well. We started well, yeah. Started all right, yeah. And I, I still think we should have or could have taken one or two chances in the first half. And I think we could have gone in easily level, if not one up, at halftime. The problem is it exposed the soft centre of Manchester United once again. We come up against a bit of adversity, a decision goes against us, and the fucking yellow belly, spineless, gutless attitude comes out again, and we fall to pieces. And that's exactly what we saw. Half arsed, half effort in the second half, and City just took the piss out of us, passed around us. One of the things I highlighted, especially in the ground on the day, and it's still to this minute, is fucking really getting on my nerves. Jack Grealish spent 90 minutes like there, he must have shit his pants because there was a smell off him. No one would come near him for 90 minutes. He was out in the wing, his boots covered in chalk, and absolutely nobody came within 15, 20 yards of him for 90 minutes. He destroyed us down the left, coupled with the fact that we allowed Erling, who I could use a lot of expletives about Haaland, about 20, 20 yards of space inside in our box and just not in one at the back post. Baffling, baffling defending. But I don't get why Grealish was left on his own for 90 minutes. Why none of our players decided, hang on, there's a massive issue out here. Or why Ten Hag himself didn't see it and go, lads, we're getting absolutely reamed on that side. We need something to, something to change. We need to fix that. We didn't fix it. And signs on, he got the ball out wide and he offered him an out every single time. They were able to find passes and find space that we just simply couldn't find. I mean, we struggled to find any sort of space around the pitch. They smothered us. They smothered our midfield. They smothered us going forward. We struggled to find any bit of creative passing. But yet, when they got the ball, we were like shadows. It was like passing our own statues. We were just fucking pedestrian again. Like, just literally, absolutely lacking in, in inspiration or lacking in aggression. I mean, you don't... You can't go through a Manchester derby and at least not put a fucking foot in someone and rattle someone's cages, especially after getting done by that penalty. I mean, that's, that's just when the temper should come up and a bit of anger should come up. And to be honest with you, a bit of fucking pride should come up a bit. And start putting a foot in fellas. And start letting them know you're there. And get into the game. And try to get the crowd up. And try to get the crowd on your, on, on your back or, or, or with you, you know. And get, get a bit of momentum going again and go at them. I mean, we had chances. We just, 
we didn't take our chances and they passed around us and they just embarrassed us by the end of it. One of the things that I would say in response to that about, you know, laying a marker on City when things maybe aren't going away and, and changing the way, I suppose, the atmosphere is going in the game because I suppose after the second game on Sunday, the atmosphere fell really flat in sections of the ground. Um, TRA was fantastic, really, and, and, and J-Stand sections too that stayed were, were very, very good. But I think we lack leaders. Um, and, and on that, after the game, there was a lot of talk made about Roy Keane's damning assessment of Bruno Fernandes. And he kind of finger-pointed at Bruno, who hasn't been playing well this season, about the captaincy role and how he'd take it off him. Um that's all well and good, but Roy Keane wasn't there to offer a, a solution into who could be captain. Do you think that's a, another major factor here? Because we're going to talk about Ten Hag's future in a bit. But even in, in game-to-game situations, we don't seem to have that leader that seems willing to or able to rally the troops. And that could be due to multiple factors. You could have addressed them with several clicks and people not getting on and People not seeing eye to eye. But, but, but when I'm at games and I'm watching that team, I just see no connection anymore. And it's so far away to what we buzzed off last season with this team when the likes of Leach was playing. It's such a big loss, I think. But that bite that we had and that bit of character that I think can win you games, we just don't have right now. We don't. And you know what? I highlighted something in an earlier episode, a couple of episodes back earlier in the season, about Bruno's captaincy, that I'm not sure about it. But, and it's not like, it's not a, I'm not going in on him by any means. I'm just not sure about him as what type of captain he is, because what I said originally was, he's not a captain that inspires me, or he's not a captain that I feel would inspire players around him. I don't think he's someone that'll grab someone by the scruff of the neck when your back's against the wall and say, listen, You've got another five percent. Get it out of you, and let's fucking get into these boys. It's not. It's not the way he is. He himself, his own form isn't helping himself because he's playing shit this season. So I suppose it can be hard to lead when you're not leading by example as a captain as well. So it's a, it's it's a big ask, I suppose. And again, being the captain of Manchester United comes with its own pressures. But like, look back at when Ollie was on about Maguire. How many players turned down the role of captain? I mean, that's. That's a laughable, disgusting thing to ever hear anybody say that someone turned down well, the chance. It, it, it's also very, very, uh, sorry, a very important point to bring up because with Roy Keane coming out saying that he thinks that Bruno should be stripped of the captaincy. Which is nonsense, Dale, but realistically speaking, I mean, you're not going to fucking strip of the captaincy after 10 games. It is. And, and, and you know what? It, it's funny it comes from someone who not only is a player, it didn't happen as a player, but in his managerial career has lost several dressing rooms. So Ten Hag, realistically, he's given Bruno the captaincy in the, in the summer. And then look at the state of things right now. Then he decides, let's pull the captaincy off him. Like, that's not going to be a popular decision. And we've already had enough unpopular decisions. Yeah. AKA Jaden Sancho situation. So like, look, Roy Keane is, is coming up with sound bites for Sky Sports or whoever he's working for the weekend. It's what he does and it's what he's getting paid to do. That's all it is. It's a throwaway comment. It's a, it's a, I wouldn't put the gear back on the bus or I'd punch the head off him in the dressing room. It's one of those stupid comments that he comes out with. Sensationalism for the sake of it. Bruno's not going to get stripped of the captaincy anytime soon. It's, it'd be absolutely ridiculous to do so. But there's also the, the flip side of Roy's argument. Who the fuck do you make captain then after that? Because there is no leader in that squad. As bad and all as things are under Bruno as captaincy, 
so far, which I'm sure he's not too impressed about himself. I mean, personal pride for Bruno. He won't be looking at these results thinking, Jesus, this is a great start to my captain's tenure at United. Like, there is, you can't even name someone on the squad like to come in and become captain. So he, I, I can imagine his job as captain of United is is made more difficult by the fact that he doesn't have those leaders behind him to help him. I mean, go back to Keane's time, go back to that that era. You had a Gary Neville behind you. Do you know, you had someone that was a strong vice captain or a, a leader on the back line. You'd leader in midfield, you'd leader up front, you'd leaders across each line. We're lucky to have a fucking leader in the whole squad. So it's a different, it's a different type of squad altogether. I mean, I don't see any leadership in the back four currently, lacking injuries, of course, at the moment, but I don't see leadership coming from back there. I don't see any leadership coming in the middle. Bruno's probably struggling, again, like I said, maybe with his own form, which might be affecting his own ability to lead the side. And then you've got Rasmus Hoyland, who's a child up front. So he's not, not a child, as in not slagging him around him, but he's only a kid, like he's only a young fella. So like, it's not like you've got a Wayne Rooney running the lines up front, biting at everyone. It's not like you've got a Carrick for calmly composing things in the middle or a fucking a Rio at the back, you know yeah. We don't have that. We've got a bunch. How, how difficult, sorry, is that for the likes of Onana coming in from a different country? Because you go back to De Gea when he came in, Adam Vidic and Ferdinand ahead of him. You know, they were good players to, for a young goalkeeper to be bedding into the Premier League with. Onana doesn't have that, especially this season with the injuries we've had. And I, I think it's massive. Like The defence literally changes every week. So that there's no sense of stability there. Like, the best defenders, you ask them to come in now, the team every now and again, they wouldn't be able to perform. You can only really perform when you get a run of games under your belt. And that just seems like an impossible task for this team this season. And there is reports, too, that some of the players feel like they're being overworked in training. I think I think it's just some of this kind of stuff is just baffling because we all know, as much as I absolutely love them, as manager, Ollie was a bit of a soft touch. And before at the end of his reign, you had players coming out criticizing him and talking how, how boring they found the football. And now you're hearing reports that they find that Ten Hag is too abrupt or too maybe hard on him and training him too hard. There's a lot of finger pointing going on. None of these players really cons- well, consistently, yet they're not, are showing up. No, so like yeah. it just it just seems like more the same old ding dong with these guys. You know, as Roy Keane said a few years ago, he passed a comment about um that these players will do the same thing to Ollie. I think Ollie won two or three games, and he was saying, "Yeah, they'll do the same thing to him." He's right. Yeah, lepers don't change their spots. I think was the word or the term he used. But mm. we've come off the back of a trina defeat to City. Fans getting on the players' cases. Then we've come up against Newcastle. Newcastle, a game where, if I'm brutally honest, was one of the first times I, on Twitter, made a pre-match prediction, stupidly enough. And I was confident, even though we got beat by City, even though we were playing poorly, I saw Ten Hag finally lose his stubborn streak, make changes that were required to be made, seven changes to the side, players coming in that I expected to come in and do well, Players coming in that I wanted to see play. I wanted Garnacho to start on the left. I thought Rashford needed to come out. Bruno needed to be dropped for Mount. Um, looked at the lineup and thought, do you know what? Fancy us tonight. 
and I looked at the Newcastle lineup and I thought, these are shit. And how wrong I was. I mean, we went out against Newcastle and they outworked us to a man for 90 minutes. At 3-0 down, they were flying into tackles and sprinting around the place while we were fucking scratching our arse, strolling around the pitch. It was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting and nothing short of it. We started off all right. Hannibal went around kicking everything that moved, got booked. Then proceeded to kick everything that moved again, which I know he's young and I know it's probably naivety, but Jesus, lad, if you're on a book and within 10 or 15 minutes, calm the passion a small bit. Just just take a breather, relax. I was hoping Casemiro might come over and put an arm around him till him calm down, but Casemiro fucking killed someone and got booked. So within 20 minutes, our two centre midfielders are on a booking. They're still kicking, lads, and you're wondering, what the fuck's going on here? We're going to be out of 10 minutes if something doesn't change here quickly. And from there on, the game just went tits up. Dallo got roasted like a marshmallow. Lindelof may as well have just bent over and took it because the third goal, he just stood aside and goes, here, go on, fuck it, go on, go on, have a goal for yourself. Go on, you have a goal, you have a goal. Everyone have a goal, have a goal. Onana must be inside looking at that back four going, what the fuck am I after doing coming to the Manchester? Because this is a shit show. These boys haven't a clue. If you're watching him, like, if you watched that side and you, thought, you were told it was an academy team against Newcastle, you'd forgive it within reason for some of the stupid mistakes they made and some of the naivety. This is the fucking first team in a cup competition knockout against these plucky little pricks from Tyneside who we beat in the final last year who think that they're now going to be the next world superpower. And we rolled over. It's just unfathomable to think the performance could be that bad. Coming off of a defeat to City, you expect a backlash. Like, I mean, through the ages, if United got beaten in a big game, God forbid the next, the next team we came up against, because they were getting a fucking lesson in football, and they were going to come off the pitch with bloodied knees and bruised arms, because we'd put in a shift, we'd get a fucking good, convincing result, and we'd try and show a bit of pride in the crest again. Pride? If any of them are proud picking up their fucking paycheck on Friday, they want to have a look in the mirror because it was absolutely and utterly diabolical. That's why, as a result, we're now seeing the usual shitty journalists coming out with my source in the dressing room, <coughs> bullshit, has said training is too hard. We didn't get to go to Disneyland on the American tour. We didn't get to go holding hands walking around by the Eiffel Tower. Fuck off, will you? Grow up a small bit. Getting paid fucking three hundred thousand pound a week to be a footballer, you want to go fucking sightseeing? <laughs> I don't think I can, I don't think I can match that for a for a match review. I agree with every word you said, but look, it all just boils down to what we're seeing right now. Feels like what we've seen under other managers that were eventually sacked, and I personally think it's way too early for that. So, it leads up to the question: You sound pretty angry by some of the players. Are they letting Ten Hag down? You asked me, I think, one or two episodes ago, is Eric Ten Hag's job at risk? And I adamantly said to you, I don't believe that any single person at the club in a hierarchy situation has even considered replacing him at that mm-hmm. time. Move forward two weeks later, and we're seeing reports that United are looking around at other managers. Now, I would hope it's nonsense, but... His job has definitely become a little bit more questioned in the last two weeks. My personal opinion on it, I'd sell 
any single player on that side before I sack him. To a, to a man, bar potentially Highland and maybe Onana, who've just come in and should be given time. Tanag came in last year and we got excited about his rootlessness in the team where he rooted out a couple of bad apples. He shifted off a couple of players we didn't need. He got rid of a couple of unwanted distractions from the side. They're still there. They're still there. They're still weeds inside in the garden. And them weeds have been grown. Off-field shit has caused absolute mayhem. We've gone through it in episode after episode. The shit, the stuff he's had to deal with since he came in. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not blindly backing Eric Ten Hag. Ten Hag has made a bollocks a few times of a few different decisions. He's got it wrong tactically. He's got it wrong lineup wise. He's got it wrong in-game management. There's things he needs to strengthen himself on 100%. There's things he needs to change himself 100%. But I'm looking at a team where we've seen it under. Myers came in. We were shite. He's gone. Van Gaal came in. We were shite. He's gone. We were good for a bit. Shite, gone. Mourinho came in. We were deadly. Then they decided they didn't like him and he was too much of a cunt. Gone. Ollie came in. Ollie was grand. Ah, nah. Don't like him either. Gone. Randy came in. No one liked Randnick. Fuck off. And now in comes Eric Ten Hag, the man to fix it all, has a cracking first season, jigs around the squad a bit, starts to put a bit of a shape to it. Everyone bought into it. The fan base were absolutely and utterly behind him to a man and a woman. The end of last season, there was not one single person questioning Eric Ten Hag's job. Bar none. We've had a really rough start to the season. But I don't think this is down to Eric Ten Hag. And I would massively hope that the club have a pair of balls and stand by him for a change. My fear is, my biggest fear is this takeover, which has been causing us so much hassle for how long now? It's been causing us hassle regarding the transfer market. Yeah, 12 months. It's been causing us hassle in the transfer market. It's been causing us hassle in redevelopment of the ground, training facilities. And now we're in a situation where we don't really know what's going on with a takeover. We don't know if what fucking Ratcliffe is coming in buying however many percent he's coming in to buy. We don't know if John Murta and Richard Arnold are going to still have a job next week. It's, it's messy, to say the least. And then we're looking at the potential of a manager being replaced. Who is going to make the decision of who the next manager is? Because if Ratcliffe's coming in and we're led to believe he's going to take charge of sporting operations, you'd imagine that then Jim Ratcliffe would make the decision of who the next manager is. But Jim Ratcliffe isn't there at the moment. He's not, he's not confirmed. None of this is done. So we're in this limbo situation where Tin Hag's job is starting to be questioned. The team is absolutely fucking shit. We've no idea what's happened with a takeover. And realistically, we don't know who can pull the trigger or make a decision on what happens next if it's a big decision like that. Because hypothetically, Ratcliffe isn't there, so he can't make the decision. So if the club do decide to pull the trigger and say, bang, Eric, you're gone and hire a new manager before Ratcliffe comes in. Is that going to make Jim Ratcliffe very happy about his decision to give him £1.3 billion before he comes in there and change things around? I mean, he's buying what he's seeing right now with his view of how he wants to change it. I, I'm, I'm just hypothesizing. I'm assuming he's looking at it going, this is what I'm buying into. This is what I think I'm going to change. This is what I'm going to do. You can't really change a big, massive chess piece on the board in getting rid of Eric Ten Hag before that's completed. So... It's, it's a weird one. It's a very, very strange situation to be in, but I would really hope, I think the time has to come when we just say, do you know what? Enough's enough. 
things aren't great, grand, you have to stick by a manager. At some stage, you have to stick by some manager. You Why have to predict that managerial cycle that we've been repeating. This 18, yeah, this 18 months of a good a good season, go on a bad spell, things go to shit. The soft-ass players start crying to the fucking journalists and the manager can lose his job. It can't always be the manager. Every single manager cannot be wrong. Every single manager with different styles we've had, like Louis van Gaal, and a very accomplished football manager, maybe came in too late in his career and his, his style wasn't great. Fair enough. But he wasn't a shit manager. He, do you know what I mean? He's not a shit football manager. Jose Mourinho, again, maybe he'd come in a little bit late in the day where his style of football had changed and football had moved on a bit from his style. But again, top-class manager. But he was shit at United, seemingly. Ollie came in. One of the, some of the best times I've had since Ferguson was under Ali. It was the most exciting, enjoyable. Um, the team was likable. Match going fans were, were literally smiling going to the game and you were coming out after games happy with what you'd seen. You'd seen a good performance and a bit of attacking football and do you know people but were fucking... A total, sure. a total flip from what it was like before Mourinho totally, exactly. because we, you, we hated the team then. 100% yeah and we came off negative dog shit football hoping that it resulted in trophies and we came on to see more exciting and enjoyable football. But then Ollie wasn't good enough and he got the fucking sh- the, the sack. And now Tinag's come in who's shown last year to be a very adept manager was able to bring a trophy albeit it was a Carabao Cup but it was still a trophy it gave match going fans again a fantastic day out everyone down in Wembley memories again for of, of great days having a, a fantastic time out good cup run another cup final again maybe didn't turn out the way I wanted to and half decent European run that will haunt us for a while and a decent league run I mean Fuck me, he did well. <laughs> and all of a sudden, fast forward to the next season, and all of a sudden, he's a shit manager. They can't all be shit managers. Like He has to sometime come back to the fact that these players, who aren't all shit players either, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're all absolutely useless. It's the fucking mentality. It's the attitude. They just are so easy to just throw their hands up in the air and say, ah, bollocks, I'm not doing it. I was, t- I was talking to a guy yesterday, funnily, a friend of mine here at home, just on, on the phone, and we were kind of analysing the game afterwards and we are just having a, a simple comment about it. That when, we played, when we played football as kids, we used to play against each other all the way up, under 10s up to under 18s. If we came off the pitch like they did against Newcastle, knowing that you haven't put in 100%, you'd be embarrassed. And we were kids playing for free, playing for enjoyment. And we gave everything we had, every last ounce of energy we had as children, up to junior level and playing junior football. You gave everything you had. You weren't getting paid for it. You were going out there on a Saturday or a Sunday just because you love playing football. These boys are getting paid one, two, three, four hundred thousand pounds a week and given the honour and the fucking privilege to play for Manchester United and are strolling off the pitch haven't, haven't even broken a sweat. I mean, surely be the God, they, they have to be embarrassed coming off that pitch. They have to be embarrassed with the, the results. But they have to be embarrassed with their own personal effort. And it comes down to the fact that, do they actually give a shit? Are they thrown in the towel? Are they still upset because Jaden Sancho chose an Xbox over United? There's a load of different things. The Sancho, with the Sancho one, Dale, of all the different issues we've had, the Greenwood issue caused havoc, Anthony issues, all these other issues. This Sancho one is festering in this side like a fucking thorn mm. in someone's finger. It's causing massive, massive problems. And the biggest one that's caused an issue is Marcus Rashford. 
you're spot on. Um, I do think Marcus Rashford is causing some problems even in the dressing room um, since the start of the summer, really, since he came back, which is worrying given that's not too long after he signed his contract um, for that bumper deal. But when you mentioned players like Sancho and players that Ten Hag didn't want that United and that are still there, and as you mentioned, them as weeds. Um, this goes back to what Pep Guardiola said at the weekend after the derby. I think he kind of thrown a bit of support Ten Hag's way because he mentioned how important it was for him to have the right structure behind him and to have everyone at the club on the same page. So at Man City, the ultimate aim is to win. Win, 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 win everything. Everyone there, the manager feels, is on the same page as him. And You'd hope that they sold us the story that things would be better when John Murtaugh was going to go on the football side and Richard Arnold was brought in instead of Woodward. And we spoke on this podcast and Sean was on it too. And I remember being really negative about the whole Arnold thing. Um, totally, because it was just more of the same shit. Different cheek of the arse. Um, not trustworthy. And it's still the same way at Manchester United. and has been since Ten Hag arrived because two transfer windows in, there's still a number of players that he didn't want because he didn't rate. He's now having to play those players. Not ideal. And when you bring up the Sancho thing and how that's festered, if that happens at Man City where a player falls out of Guardiola, he has the ultimate backing where he says that player is no longer going to play for this club. And that's the be-all and end-all. We're now after having a bad start to the season and some players are upset with Ten Hag. And that could suddenly change the way the club thinks. Until this club values the manager as number one, it will not be successful. And it's probably an impossible ask while these people that are in power are there. Because we already know, have known for years, Richard Arnold's not a football, football man. Ed Woodward wasn't a football man. They're running the biggest football club in England. But they're not football men. And that's the fucking biggest problem. It's why, it's why we get so angry with this. Because it's looking at us in broad... Looking right in front of us. in our eyes. As, Gar- as Gary Neville said at the weekend, everything that's burning around Ten Hag is looking at us right in the eyes. Now, he's the one that I'm sure Arnold are happy that they're finger-pointed at. And not him. Because he got it not too long ago. But that place, Brian, must be completely toxic. With the talk of Radcliffe coming in and Arnold and them basically knowing that their futures will not be at Manchester United if that does happen. There's obviously no support network or really people trying to help Ten Hag in there because everyone knows that their days are numbered. Do you know, it's funny, the way you're on about Pep and if he falls out with a player, he's the fullback and then that's how it used to be under Ferguson. Think back to Ferguson's time. Roy Keane, Went in on the players on the MUTV interview. Things started to fester between himself and Ferguson. Roy Keane was still one of the best players around at that time. He was still fucking massive to United. Cheerio, Roy, pack your bags and fuck off. David Beckham got too big for his boots. Ferguson didn't like him. Cheerio, good luck. Yapstam didn't like him. Gone. No one questioned it. We still went on and kept winning things. We still backed the manager. The manager had the ultimate say and the club was absolutely... 100% behind any decision he made. And some of those decisions I didn't agree with. In particular, Beckham like broke my heart when he left. Has always been my favourite footballer. But Alex Ferguson decided he wasn't playing for Man United again. Gone. But like you just said, nowadays, 
Tin Hag decides Sancho isn't right for the team, for whatever reason it may be, have their issues, questions his, his training, his effort, etc., etc., and all of a sudden it's, no, 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 Eric Tin Hag is wrong, and me and the boys are going to have a little pissy fit about, hissy fit about this, and we're going to come together and cause ructions inside in the dressing room. Yeah, they can do that, because Tin Hag doesn't have the power at the club. He doesn't have the backing of the club. He doesn't have the support of Richard Arnold and John Murta and the rest of them. He doesn't have that. And you've nailed it because John Murta and Richard Arnold know that they're fucked. They know it. We know it. Tin Hag knows it. The players know it. The players are taking advantage, once again, of a club that's an absolute mess from top to bottom, knowing well that there are the kids inside in the schoolyard that can do whatever the fuck they want because the teachers aren't watching. It's as simple as that. And until this takeover gets completed... It's not even a takeover, whatever it is, the buy-in or whatever way you want to put it. Until that gets straightened out and becomes some sort of a stable situation because it's the instability at the moment is causing us massive issues. Until that happens, they're free to do that because there's no one there to scold them and say, you have to do what you're told. They can do whatever they want. So, Someone who were working closely with one of the first team players this week told me that there's no consequences at Manchester United. Um, and this goes back to what we're talking about now, players feeling that they can basically do what they want. And people would ask, or people would wonder, listen, where does that come from? Is it coming from the manager? I think a lot of people jump to that, but it doesn't. The reason we're seeing this for so many years and under several managers is because it comes from the very top to bottom. If you've got a boss in work, comes in every now and again, and you're complaining about there's no heating in the premises and the roof is leaking, and he has concerns, all right, yeah, yeah, and never fix it. Think about how that will make you feel about going to work every day, and, and you you probably will st- stop having the incentive, incentive to do things and to work hard. You know, and I think that goes from the top to the bottom. What people can see is just pure and utter carelessness. They don't care about the club. They don't want to, they don't want to build it in any way. They just want to feed money off it. And after years of that neglect, I do believe that we're just in in a hole with them because th- that mentality is festered the whole way through. Like, like sorry, what, what Gary Neville touches on actually is well, what he touched on is in its graveyard. That's exactly what it is. It's a graveyard that they've created through this toxic mentality that they have. They don't care about United. I think that's just filtered down because you hear a lot of the former players talk, and Nanny mentioned it in an interview recently about he looks at the team now and he doesn't see anyone, you know, grabbing the shirt and come on, you know, a bit of that when when we need it. It's because no one gives a shit anymore. Yeah, we've, <coughs> excuse me, under the Glazer ownership and Ed Woodward being one of the most culpable of this, we've accumulated a squad over years of overpaid players that are on contracts we can't shift, who know that they can just sit around and collect their wages. We've then given fucking contract extensions, which is the most annoying part of it all. At times when we thought these players were going to leave, no, no, we give them a new contract. Fucking go on, why not? Baffling. But like this has been going on, this rot has been going on for years, and it is a rot. And it has rotted and rotted and rotted. And now we're in a situation where Tin Hag started pulling up trees last summer trying to repair the rot, which we were all absolutely buzzing with, because finally someone was get, coming around to the, the chance of trying to reshape the squad and the chance of getting rid of some of these fucking dickheads out of the squad. And he did. 
but it's not it's only becoming evident now just how deep this rot is the rot is still there there's players in that squad absolutely collecting a wage 100% in there collecting their money taking their bit of fame and just getting on with life they don't give a bollocks about Man United they really don't but you look at like I, I don't want to bring solely point it in because it's not just Phil Jones but the contract he was on how many years he was there without hardly playing right that happens at any other serious club. I look at Real Madrid, who, you know, how many years Eden Hazard was there, but wasn't fit enough, and they decide in the summer to terminate his contract because it's just not worth it for it's not working out. Now they don't make those kind of decisions. They're never forward thinking, and it's it all comes again com- coming from the top. Um, and we 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 spent many podcasts talking about the damages of the Glazers, but. It's not just that now. I think the 12 months that this takeover or buy-in has dragged on for, it's now reaching to the point where it's spiraling out of control. And people don't know about their futures. They're not working the way they should. And, and the club team, I think, now as well is, is suffering. The atmosphere in there must be absolutely toxic. But we also, Brian, have a few listener questions which you want to get through which are kind of all relevant to the conversation we're having so they all tie in nicely and um, the first one from lisa on twitter what do you think is the solution right now so thinking i guess short term for ten hag brian what do you think he can do to to muster up a few results do you know i honestly don't have an answer which is scary because I'm not sure Tin Hag has an answer of what he can do right now this minute. And that's a worrying position to be in because we can analyse this till the cows come home, but any of the analysis we're coming up with, he's coming up with himself. Or and obviously a lot more in depth, but like I'd hate to be him right now. He must be sitting at home thinking, these bunch of bastards, these absolute bunch of cunts are hanging me out to dry, making me look like an absolute dickhead. How am I going to turn it around? Well, I can't depend on him because he hates me. So does him, him and him because he's friends with him. He plays Xbox with that fella, so he hates me. He's shit. He's injured. Like, he's supposed to be looking at a squad and a, and a dressing room going, how am I going to get these bunch of cunts to play? Because they've just bent over all season. So I don't, what, he, what his solution is, I don't know. I mean, go hard and go aggressive against them. They all falter and say training's too hard, his treatment is too hard. You can't go soft on them because you go soft them, they walk all over you. He's he's in a lose lose situation at the moment, and it's 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 a tough one to figure out. The only way he can get this back on side again is start winning football matches, and it's as simple as that. But to win football matches, the team has to buy into his ideas and and have to back his, the manager. And at the moment, we're not seeing that, so it's worrying. Um, we full him the weekend. It's a dodgy one. Copenhagen is the one I'm watching for. I'm I'm over in Copenhagen Tuesday, Thursday. We lose against Copenhagen, and I think that's our Champions League adventure over. That's the one that scares me the most. So I'm not sure, Lisa, what Tin Hag's short-term fix is, but beating Copenhagen is most definitely the start of it. Um, long-term, it's get this takeover done right now. I, I think tactically, he could make a few changes. And Gary never maybe suggests to go back to basics. I wouldn't think... It wouldn't even go that far, but I think looking at the way we've played this season, our wing play is absolutely atrocious. Anthony on the right with the end product, and as far as I'm concerned, when he plays, it's like taking up a, 
a space in the team which you'd rather go to someone else and I'm just wondering if this team because we're so poor at wide at the moment we're just playing narrow play two up front pack the midfield because the defense clearly needs more protection and our midfielders alone need protection too because Ericsson doesn't have the legs anymore if you're going to play him you're going to have to surround him with people with legs Hannibal I wouldn't mind seeing him more on the team, to be totally honest with you, because at least Ten Hag knows with him he's going to get effort. Um, maybe go narrow. There's something He's going to have to change something, because right now, with three across the midfield, we don't have the midfielders to play like that. Even if we had Casemiro available, as we've seen at the start of the season, he struggled. He can't play as a single pivot on his own. He hasn't got the legs to do it anymore. So we don't have the players, I think, and clearly with the injuries in defence, we don't want the players to play off in the back. So the way we're playing, it, it, it doesn't make much sense. I think that's why I'm scratching my head at the moment, wondering how far are these players back from injury? We've mentioned this before, that Ten Hag doesn't give any specifics on that. We're kind of left in the dark. Are the players soon going to return? Is that why he's sticking with what he's doing? Because otherwise, we're not getting results. And I don't think, I can't see... A pat where we are so to answer the question i don't think there is a an easy solution but i do think he has to change things my only issue i suppose they would go on narrow and going two up top your two up top consist of rasmus Hoyland and anthony marshall and Hoyland's and rashford oh, jesus i don't know really i suppose my problem my problem with marshall the point i want to make about anthony marshall ties back into what i was saying earlier about the club not doing the right thing about players. I, was, I looked it up. I tweeted about it earlier because I was, I was looking into Martial's stats and, and he's, how long he's been with us and, and Neville highlighted it. He signed eight years ago. He's in, it's his ninth season at the club. He scored 89 goals in nine seasons. Mm. At what point do you decide this isn't working out? Because can you really see another club of our stature standing by a player that's offered mm. us so exactly. little over so long paying him a fucking third world debt every week and he's still there he's still there he's the option he was the option off the bench if Hyland needs to come off it's bring Martial on up front Martial has been letting us down year after year for years I mean it's it's are we still here eight years later thinking possibly play Martial up front with Hyland or maybe just stick Rashford up there and sacrifice him on the wing and stick Garnacho out there like Garnacho, amazing footballer. I have every faith he'll become an amazing footballer. But whatever it is about when he starts a football match, it's this weird phenomenon. It doesn't seem to work. And one of the lads asked during, during the game last night, one of the lads asked, can we take Garnacho off and bring him back on as a sub? And as funny a statement as it was, it was brilliant because he's a brilliant impact player, but he just doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to work for him from the start. I don't know. It's still young. That could be a maturity thing. Yeah, yeah. He's 100%. Ten Hag this season, he's definitely noticed that because I remember there was a point a few weeks ago, people were quite angry at Rashford's form and they were kind of plugging at the idea of why isn't Granacho starting? And I'm very much the same. Like when he did start, does start games, doesn't impress. And maybe it's just the point that he's not quite quite there yet to be a, to be yeah. a starter. He's still very, very young. Um, then there's no reason to worry or, or to, to panic. Like at the same time, we have a 20 year old striker up front who's been brought in to literally be United's you know, mantelpiece up front. Um, 
and it's a big responsibility. And he right now, Highland, you'd have to say, is just feeding on scraps. Um, that that's one of the solutions, by the way, Lisa, for your question that Ten Hag does need to fix. And maybe it could be to do with Bruno Fernandez, but because he's our most creative player. But Bruno Fernandez has to be picking out Highland more than what he is. It's not picking out anywhere near enough. And the service that young strikers been getting is just fucking shocking. A top club. Absolutely shocking. You look at it, you watch Brighton and you see Evan Ferguson feeding on goals because they create opportunities. Because they, we're talking about needing other strikers. If you had, if you had 90% of strikers in the world up front, they wouldn't be scoring goals in that team. I'll tell you another one that I watched the weekend, Haaland. Haaland doesn't do a lot of work. Everything is on a plate for him. Can you imagine him playing with United? Yeah. it's it's It must be a lonely job up front for United at the moment yeah. because you're, you're getting fuck all. Now, in fairness to Rasmus Island, he's he's forcing the topic by by dropping deep and he's coming yeah. back trying to get the ball. His link-up play is great. He's a lovely, lovely, strong, aggressive striker. Loves getting mixed into it. But again, he's there to score goals and he hasn't been. I mean... He's what has he scored? Is it zero in six or seven starts in the Premiership or whatever it is? It's not great for the poor kid. And I've I, I highlighted a few times I was worried about him coming in, being that young into a side is not that settled. I'd love to have seen us again in the summer bring in. I know we're, we're sick of saying bringing in aging players and that, but there's a time and a place where it does work. And bringing in maybe an older striker to give Highland a break or to take a bit of pressure off, or even now to play in a front two. Would have been a great idea, but it didn't work out. So, yeah, it must be tough. Highland is like Anthony fucking can't cross his legs. He's offering absolutely zero to this kid up front. Rashford is falling over himself trying to beat players and making the wrong decisions. And Highland's coming deep trying to get the ball and, and, and feeding off scraps. So, like, it's we are absolutely shockingly bad at creating chances for our striker, and we're very poor at any bit of creativity up front. I mean, we're we're getting lucky breaks and, and, and balls dropping and a bit of half chances and that, but we're very hard to watch. If you see us in our build-up play, like whatever style of football we play at any any given time, we're very, very slow. Very, very predictable. The ball goes wide, pass it back, pass it across, pass it back, go wide, pass it back, pass it across. Then you watch any single side, no matter if it's a City or a Sheffield United, watch them come at us. They're coming at us with intent because they know we're soft in the centre. They know they can pass around us and play little triangles and play these little quick passes and they get, get around us. We don't do that. We don't... They used to talk about playing triangles. Carrick was a great man for playing triangular balls around us. They had these little triangulars that worked so well to bypass defences, bypass midfields. It was, a, it was such an easy tactic to use. We don't do that. We don't seem to use our heads going forward on that. The bit of creativity that Bruno brings to it I think he's got to the stage where he's forcing it massively. And that's why it's not working out for him. He's trying too hard to, to create something from nothing. But when you're when everyone around you is standing around like a fucking statue, it's very hard to create anything. Absolutely. Cottle asks, do you bring Colby Manu straight back into the side this weekend? We're talking about young players. So do you think recovering from, or just after recovering from his injury that we should throw him straight into that midfield because it is, it is suffering? Um. It's it's difficult to throw a lad, especially after injury, throw him straight back in. But I've high hopes for Cobby Manor 
I think he looks like a fantastic footballer. He really does. People are saying, don't get ahead of yourself. And it's he's only playing against Sal, was it Salford or was it Salford he played against the other night? Yeah. Salford, yeah. It's only Salford and they're only this and they're only that. Doesn't matter. You 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 judge him on what you see and his fluidity, his his grace around the pitch. He looks like a really, really confident and, and capable ball player. His passing looks really crisp. His his vision looks really good. He's like he's able to pick these like he's looking one way, but he's passing the ball the other way. So he's he can scanning around and he's finding these nice little passes around the place. And he's finding passes. A lot of the passes I watched in that game were attacking based or attacking minded. As opposed to just finding a player in space, he was trying to carve through them lines and beat the midfield and beat the press. So his his attitude looks to be very much positive and attacking. Lovely footballer. What we've seen from him so far, I think everyone's been impressed. I just don't know is he would you cast him to the wolves against Fulham, considering the shit that we're in at the moment? Maybe, maybe not. I I'm not sure. I'm um I'm always tentative when you're dealing with kids coming into a side. It's always easier to bring them into a side that's performing well, especially if things don't go well because the fans will get on their back if they don't perform. But I would, I, Sean. Or sorry, Brian. I would bring him back into the team. Straight in, would you? I would because I think right now, like just listen to the conversation we've had, how bad things are right now. And there's talks in the media about the manager being under under pressure what he needs right now is players that he can trust and from some of the performances we've seen I don't think he can trust that whole team I don't think from the players fit that they're all given their total Wayne Rooney said it today in his press conference he was asked about United's farm said he knows some of the players and he says he knows that they can offer more it's quite clear to see that they're just not given 100%. And there could be multiple factors playing behind that. But as far as I'm concerned, it's just not good enough. Um, and if he can bring in a player or two, like he did with Hannibal, he knows they're going to work. And I think right now, we've too many players that aren't willing to do that, which is which is a big problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a very fair point. Um, I said recently, tonight, if you can find 11 players that give a shit, play them whoever they yeah. are so it's yeah. a fair enough point yeah the only the only thing i'd worry about is can you have a midfield of, of menu and, and hannibal at the same time is it too much too too young too much too fast possibly but then bring hannibal on later on they po- they're possibly right you probably couldn't do the two of them against away to fulham but we we need we need we need to change something you can't keep playing the same players when they're putting in performances the way they have been Um, you just can't we're going to keep losing matches that way and if we keep losing matches Ten Hag he won't be in the job um, for very long and I don't think the two of us want that Um, Dylan asks uh, quite a funny question along with a picture of Victor Lindelof dressed as his um, wife I think Um, who'd win a bare knuckle fight between Brian and Lindelof I'd kick the living shit out of him just watch the clip of the Newcastle game, for I think it was Willock's goal or whatever goal it was, the third game, where he literally ran away from tackling, ran away from the challenge, backed off and just goes, yeah, have a goal. He's running around in, in, in leather pants and fucking sequin dresses. I mightn't be the biggest or hardest fellow in the world, but I reckon I'd give him a go. Get up, I said. I reckon you'd be quite proud to do Vogue. I'd be doing imagine Vogue. It, yeah, can you, can you imagine doing a scene 
in a field somewhere in Limerick. With a dead, with a beer, with a, with a beer belly, dead bud, and a baldy head, and a fine pair of Wellingtons. <laughs> I leave that to Victor Lindelof and all his grace and glory. Leather, leather, stony Wellingtons. Oh Jesus Christ! Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> Warren has the final question. He goes, "Do you ever see United getting back to what we should be? If so, why? If not, why?" It's a fantastic question because right now in this very moment in time it's very difficult to see any light at the end of any tunnel mm. i can't see i can't see christmas with tin hag still in a job today which is scandalous to even think about it because i don't want to see eric Ten hag lose his job i want to see eric Ten hag be the manchester the manager of manchester united ongoing and be the man to to, re, to bring us back to those former glories or something that resembles it but the simple answer to this is until the Glazers fuck off, no, I don't see us getting anywhere back to that. I don't see us getting anywhere even related to it because we're on a downward spiral. We've been treading water for years. They've been milking us like a cash cow. And until they're gone, or at the very least, which is a, a very unpalatable second choice, until they're out of control of power of the club and are merely a minority stake in the club, which at this terrible time, I'd gladly accept for a year or two if it meant they'd be gone eventually. Until they're gone, we're in trouble. We're, we're in severe trouble. I don't see anything drastically changing. I definitely don't see us getting back to being the swashbuckling Manchester United winning trophies, top of the table, challenging in Europe. At the moment, I can't even see us fucking... Like, we just got knocked out of the Carabao Cup. The Carabao Cup is the, the third-rate trophy in England. So... We're miles off it. We're, mi- we're a million miles off Man City. Miles behind Arsenal. Spurs are flying. New manager coming in. They're laughing. They're, they're all after buying into his Yogi Bear cuddly style of football. Mr. fucking Kumbaya himself, who I really want to hate and I can't, and it's really fucking annoying me because he seems like a really nice chap and I wouldn't mind having an appointment with him. But I'm, I'm sure there's skeletons in his closet that'll come out too. But no, I just, I can't see any, I can't see us getting back to anywhere resembling what we should be at the moment um if it There's changes a number of factors too the state course, ownership yeah, course, rampant in english football and the money yeah. that's in it now and probably more will follow suit it's football has totally changed i suppose what manchester united should be really in this day and age is a team every season that is competing for the premier league title you can't really guarantee to dominate like used to um not saying that it was easier to do with them but it's just with the factors of money that's being pumped into the sport now it's just a totally different game and it's only going to probably get worse so do i ever see that happening not again same as your answer to be honest brian not with the glazers we've said it for time that i I can't see manchester united resembling half of what it should be with them in charge and maybe half is being kind to them as for, I suppose, the next time we'll be having a chat is after the Fulham game, Brian, and you'll be going to that the weekend. Quick um, quick summary how you're feeling for that one, I guess, result, prediction. I'm absolutely ecstatic to be flying over to London on Saturday morning. Can't wait to see a really solid, gritty performance from the fantastic players that are 
currently in the squad. Um, Supporting the manager, all behind the manager. Yeah, yeah, everyone. All, all coming over, giving him a hug and a kiss and rubbing his bald head after we score our fourth. Good night, you said, head. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's grim times, Dale. I mean, it's hard to see a win at the moment, which is, which is really, really difficult, especially as a fan, to be, to be going to games that not, not really sure what you're going to get unless we're going to get more of the same, which is poor performance and, and a loss. But all we can hope for going to the game is is they've decided to play football and we get a win and we get a, a result and it stands us in good stead going to Copenhagen, which we badly need. But like it's a big week coming up for Eric Hag. We've got Fulham, Copenhagen, followed by Luton at home. It's it's probably a week that's going to define his managerial career at United, if I'm honest about it, because three more losses spells exit from Champions League, fall down the table in the Premiership, and it's another two league defeats. So it's un- it's it's even unthinkable that it might happen. But the way things are going, it could. Um, I'm going to hope that he sets out the team on Saturday. I'm not going to say not to get beat, not to be that negative, but I'm going to hope he's going to set up the team to be more resolute, harder to, to break down and harder to get at. Yeah, more contained, yeah. So I'm going to hope we're going to just nick a 1-0 win at the weekend. I'll take that all day long, get out of there for three points and run. And hopefully take us on to our trip to Denmark with a win behind us and maybe some couple of percent of extra positivity. But I'll be uh, I'll be travelling from early Saturday morning in Fulham. So I'll I'll catch up with a few lads over there for the podcast if I can and we'll we'll reassess afterwards before we jet off to beautiful Scandinavia. Fantastic. So that's it for this episode. I suppose it felt like reading out like a funeral, to be honest with you. But writing the script for this felt like I had a loss in the family. Um, so I'm actually delighted we're, we're done. But I hope, hope you enjoyed listening. Um, I doubt I doubt they did enjoy listening. To be fair, it sounds like, it sounds like a fucking <laughs> funeral procession. But I wasn't I wasn't particularly looking forward to this episode. To be honest about it, it was, we knew it was going hopefully to be hopefully the next one's more negatively. positive. Yeah, yeah. Hope the next one's more positive. So, look, make sure you continue subscribing if you haven't already to the Straightcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave a review; really helps if you can give us a full star review on those podcast apps. If you have got both, do it on both of them. As I said, it really helps. Until next week, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Podcast Network.